family which Italian dishes are their favorites they all agree Good morning. Uh, as, as has been said, we're starting a new sermon series this morning, uh, and um, we'll get to that in just a minute because I have two announcements to make. Uh, I have a video that I'm going to show in just a second, but I realized uh, I wanted to show the video before the sermon started and then you know have like this transition into it. That's not going to work because I have announcements to make, and I don't want to make the announcements at the end of the sermon. It's all throwing me off. So uh, this morning, the two announcements I want to share with you. The first is this. Um, we have had a surprising, a, a positive, a good attendance in our classes on Sunday morning, uh, which means that the rooms that we've been using are kind of overflowing. And uh, last week, I think we had 29 or 30 people. Uh, I had set up 25 chairs in my classroom, uh, and we had people come to the door and then leave because there weren't seats. And so uh, we're going to move my class up to the fellowship hall uh, starting this Sunday. Uh, if you were hoping to join us for class, you can join me up there. Uh, Wayne's class is uh, there. The tables have been uh, uh, a barrier to having enough room for his class. And so he's going to move over here uh, to room 11. And uh, there will be a special uh, a prayer-focused uh, time in room six. Chuck is leading a time of uh, just intentional prayer. And so I uh, want to invite you and encourage you to join him for that if that is something that you would like to do. Uh, hopefully that means that we'll have enough space for everybody at this point. Um, we'd like to say that we don't have enough space for everybody. That would be a wonderful thing to say that our classes are so full that we literally have to come into the auditorium to make space. Um, that said, uh, just a reminder, our classes are kind of shifting this Sunday, and I believe John Duffy is teaching Wayne's class over here in room 11 this week uh, as Wayne is traveling, and so um, keep that in mind. The second announcement I want to make, uh, we have uh, been working behind the scenes and largely in front of the scenes uh, on our welcome home ministry over the course of the last uh, eight to nine months, and one of the things that we are now getting ready to implement is a welcome luncheon. Uh, this is something that we're going to start doing on a quarterly basis, and then one big one annually. Uh, this, this next Sunday, uh, we are inviting anyone who is new to the congregation. If you've only been here for about a year, maybe just a little more than a year, we'll let you slip in under the wire. Um, or you're a guest and you've been here for a few weeks and you you're maybe you haven't placed membership but you're interested in knowing more about who we are and what we're about. Next Sunday, following service and class, we're going to have a little luncheon up in the fellowship hall. You are welcome to join us. I want to emphasize, members will have some potlucks and you're welcome to come to those in the future and we'll feed you and we'll feed each other and we'll spend time visiting. This is specifically for those who are new in the last year to ask questions of our elders, of some of our, our ministry staff, uh, get to know us a little bit, and, and we want to encourage you to be there for that if you are comparatively new uh, to the Newburgh Church of Christ. And so um, join us. We'll have soup and sandwiches, and uh, we'll, we'll just have a good time together. And so invite you to that. All right, those are the two announcements. Um, now, you know, if you watch a lot of YouTube, you know that there are ads that you can skip and there are unskippable ads. Uh, I genuinely, literally have an advertisement for you this morning, and you can't skip it because it's essential to the sermon. And so, enjoy the advertisement. 
if it plays. Ask my family which Italian dishes are their favorites. They all agree. The Olive Garden's tour of Italy is three of the best. Lasagna, chicken parmesan, and fettuccine alfredo. With all the salad and breadsticks you want, just $9.95. The Olive Garden. When you're here, you're family. All right. Who's familiar with the when you're here, your family commercials? All right. Most people are familiar. Uh, this one's from like 1996, I think. And uh, they have been running the same campaign for the entirety of the time between then and now. Uh, the, the Olive Garden commercial still end with a little, when you're here, your family, at the, the end of the commercial. This is their slogan. It is their go-to. It's the thing that they sell themselves on. Uh, and I think, in a lot of ways, it's, it's a good slogan. It's, it's also a slogan that I think is true of the church. When, when you're here, when you're a part of the gathering, you are family. And that's something that we've really tried to emphasize the last year in various ways, that we want to be a family. We want to welcome people home. We want them to step through the door of our church building and find a place where they belong, where they have a meaningful family to be a part of, relationships that help to encourage them in their growth in Jesus Christ so that they might grow up spiritually to be conformed to the image of Christ, to take on that family resemblance. These are things that we've emphasized, things that we want to see happen, uh, and, and we're trying to take steps in that direction. But unfortunately, I think a lot of times we have, wow, that really messed up the, the font. I apologize. That's, that's not at all what the font was. Um, it's all off the screen. Sometimes I think our image of when you're here, your family is shaped much more by Olive Garden than it is by Scripture. And I want to walk you through why that is. Um, who here has ever done the dishes at Olive Garden? All right, so no former Olive Garden employees in the room, right? Who here has ever taken a nap on the floor of an Olive Garden? All right, I want to ask you this question. Who here has ever served the table at Olive Garden or prepared the food at Olive Garden? When you walk in the door, do they greet you by name? Now, that might be something that, you know, represents a whole different problem, but not many of us go to Olive Garden often enough to be recognized by the hostess or host and greeted by name, right? Who here gets a birthday card from Olive Garden? Again, if, if you do, <laughs> there might be a problem. No hands raised. Now, I... Uh, when I go to my mom's house and she cooks for me, there's a good possibility that I'm going to bring a little bit of food home with me, but I think that the whole idea of like taking food home doesn't mean that you're family from Olive Garden, right? Uh, you, you have all these hallmarks of what it means to go out to a restaurant. You don't clean the table. You don't have to bring the food out. You don't serve anybody there. Uh, in the commercials, they show a lot of people sitting around the table and they're laughing and there's beautiful, like, piled plates of pasta and it's, it's a wonderful picture of people having a good time. And maybe, genuinely, the people sitting around the table are a family, but they don't interact with the other tables around them for the most part. I mean, some particularly gregarious people might. I'd imagine Terry has had conversations with people at the next table at Olive Garden because Terry is a really friendly guy, and, you know, maybe he, hey, how are you doing today? I could see that happening. But when I go to Olive Garden, for the most part, I'm there for two reasons. 
I'm there to spend time with the people I came with, and I'm there for breadsticks, right? I actually told Lorinda we should have gone to Olive Garden this week so that I could have the go-home bag of breadsticks and I could eat them while I'm preaching, and I think she was disturbed by the idea of me like having breadsticks flying out of my mouth while I preached. In a lot of ways, I think that modern Christianity has fallen into the Olive Garden mentality of what it means to be a family. We show up, we get fed, maybe we put a little money on the table, and then we leave, having been served, and we have no commitments, no obligations, I'm done. And the problem is, that's, that's a checklist, right? These are things that I'm going to accomplish over the next day. This is me checking a box and saying, I got my food, I paid my bill, and now I leave. And I think in a lot of ways, Olive Garden has informed our image of what it means to be a family, at least in regard to the church. See, in my house, uh, we have a chore list. And it goes up on the refrigerator, just like Terry was talking about. Now, my kids have, like, every day of the week is built out to be the specific chores that they are supposed to do. They're not as fastidious about getting those check boxes, you know, marked, but they, they do their chores. They're expected to do their chores. And when they do their chores, things continue to function in a way that makes us a better family by them doing the things that are expected of them. And they're not alone on the chore list because mom and dad have their own columns by us doing the things that are expected of us. Our family operates well most of the time. We get the things done that are supposed to happen. You see, I do a, I've done a lot of premarital counseling for couples in, in preparing to perform their weddings. Uh, it's, it's something that I generally require of people who are getting married for the first time, merging two lives for the first time. And one of the sessions that we go through is that we, we have like the chore list that I hand off to them. And I've had various chore lists over time. You know, uh, some of them are really simple. Uh, they're, they're like, what does your daily, weekly, monthly, and annual chore list look like for your household, right? Uh, something you might do daily is wipe down the countertops in your kitchen. Something you might do weekly is make sure every room in the house gets vacuumed. Something you might do monthly is, you know, go and do like general maintenance on your vehicle. Check to make sure that your oil levels are right, that your air and your tires is appropriately uh, uh, inflated, right? Something you might do annually is get up on the roof and clean out your gutters. Those are some chores that you might do on a regular basis. And it's interesting to me, not every family that I, I, or every couple that I've performed a wedding for has had this issue, but oftentimes when I present them the chore list, there are things on there that are like, I don't even know who does that in my family now. Things like dust the baseboards. You know, uh, stuff like who wipes down the, the knobs on the doors in the house because everybody touches them, often having just like rubbed their nose or been outside in the dirt and stuff. And they, they're, they're like, I don't even know who does that now, right? And if you're a bunch of college students living in a, a room together, maybe none of you have ever done this before. And you go home and you start appreciating, oh, my mom, my mom's responsible for cleaning the doors and wiping down uh, surfaces and things like that. My dad has been responsible for making sure that the whole house gets vacuumed, including taking the hose off and getting the, the corners and things like that. It's, it's easy for us to sometimes take for granted the fact that for a household to operate well, 
everybody has to be contributing. And oftentimes people are contributing in ways that we don't even see, that we take for granted. And the church is the same way. It's no coincidence that Paul over and over and over again uses the terms brother and sister, children of the Father, right? He was wanting us to recognize that we are a part of a household, and a household only functions when everyone contributes. I want to encourage you this morning, and as we begin this series on the chore list, to ask yourself, what are my chores in the household of God? See, sometimes when we phrase it like that, we start thinking, oh, chore is a dirty word. It means that I'm being given work I have to do, and I don't want to do it, and I'm being forced to do this. But to my mind, having chores means you belong here. When I have guests over, it's not my expectation that they get the toilet scrubber out and they clean the toilet. It's not my expectation that they they make their own bed. I mean, if they do, that's great. My mom would never stay the night at my house and not make her bed the next morning. I can tell you that for sure. I, on the other hand, am a terrible house guest, and I don't make my bed when I go over to stay at somebody else's house. And I don't expect anyone to do the same for me. But, you know, I expect it of myself and my children. There are things that I expect for a member of the family to participate in, for a member of the family to do, because they belong here. This is their space. Their contribution to the well-being of the household is essential. I don't know if you've ever had uh, maybe a family situation, but maybe a roommate situation where uh, you you divvy up. These are the responsibilities that we're going to have around the house, and one roommate just doesn't seem to do anything. It doesn't matter if you have ten roommates, and nine of them are doing what they're supposed to do, and one of them doesn't. It's felt by everyone. I've had situations where I had multiple roommates. Uh, Before Lorinda and I got married, I was living with five other uh, college age or young adult guys, and uh, as happens in those situations, our house was in a constant state of, uh, hey, it's a mess right now, but we've got friends coming over, and we don't want to look like a bunch of slobs, so let's go ahead and shove everything into a closet here. And you know what? It looked pretty good after we shoved everything into a closet, except that our one roommate chose not to do his part. And so his area in the house, like we always gave him the backmost corner of the house to shove stuff into a closet because we knew he wasn't going to do it. And the first time that we asked him to do it, he did it in the front room and it was just a mess everywhere. Because he failed to do his part of hiding the, the mess, we all felt a little embarrassed, right? If the church operates in the same way, where everybody has a job to do, but some people don't do their jobs, don't do their chores, don't contribute to the household, things can be a little embarrassing sometimes. For the early church, you know, here in the the book of Acts, as we read this morning, we see a situation that I think the apostles were embarrassed by. It says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists 
arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distributions. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, I want to be clear here. Sometimes we look at this and we almost feel as though the the apostles are saying, we're too good for this. Like, look, our job is so important, we can't possibly be distracted from it. But I don't see that in this statement. This is not the apostles saying, this type of service is beneath us. I think this is the apostles recognizing, look, we have a chore to do. We have a task in the household of God. And if we neglect our task, if we don't do what it is we've been called to do, it's not going to work. We need this role filled. We need someone to come and serve the food to those who are in need. This is a requirement for the church to function. It's not beneath us, but it's essential for it to happen and for it to be someone else who has the ability to do this job so that we can do our job. We see this happen multiple times in Scripture where someone someone has a significant role and they, they realize there are other roles connected to it, and they try to take on those roles, and it drains them, and it, it destroys them in a lot of ways. Think about the story of Moses, all right? So we spent the whole t- summer talking about Moses. Let's jump back on that bandwagon for a minute. Moses is leading the people of God under the authority of God through the wilderness. He's essentially responsible for making sure that the day-to-day operations of the entire encampment of hundreds of thousands of people are doing all right. God gives him the job, the chore, of maintaining the law among the people in addition to all of his other responsibilities. And his father-in-law is looking at this, and and Moses has people coming to him on a daily basis, asking, how do you you apply the law to this situation that we're facing right now? My brother-in-law ran over my my, sheep with his cart, and, and now it's dead, and how do I make sure that I'm fairly compensated? He wasn't being negligent. I let my sheep out into the past. I'm making up this situation, by the way. Go search all of the Bible, and you're not gonna find it. But this is an example, right? There are laws specific to how to handle the accidental death of an animal. But they weren't widely spe- wildly specific. They were very broad. And so God's expectation was, hey, use some discernment in how you apply these laws. And he gave Moses the job of using that discernment. And so we have a lot of teachings that are specifically Moses' application of the law to specific situations. But if Moses had to adjudicate every single instance of the breaking of the law amongst hundreds of thousands of people, Moses would have no time for anything else. And so his father-in-law says, look, you're going to kill yourself doing this. Find yourself the elders of each group, and then they're going to find people beneath them, and they're going to find people beneath them, and they will apply the law. 
maybe Moses was still responsible for the first time that a new situation was encountered. Oh my goodness, we don't have a record of this ever happening before. It's time for us to create some case law. You're going to go see the Supreme Court, Moses, and he's going to make a final decision, and from here to eternity, that's how we'll apply the law. But Moses doesn't have to do that in every single situation. Moses doesn't go around and collect the manna for every tent in the, you know, the entire encampment. The head of the household or the mother of the household was expected to go and do that. The family together might go do that, but it wasn't Moses' job to gather the food for everyone. When they cross over the Jordan, you know what doesn't happen? Joshua doesn't carry 12 stones across the Jordan to set them up on the other side. The 12 tribes of Israel carry 12 large stones to set them up on the other side of the river. Because sometimes there's work that one person can't do that the family as a whole needs to contribute to. And sometimes we have different roles from one another to accomplish the same task. See, in my household, my children are responsible for their laundry. They wash their laundry, they dry their laundry, they fold their laundry. My wife and I wash the household laundry, you know, the towels and napkins and uh, linens and things like that. We wash those and we wash our own laundry. All of us wash laundry to the same ends, that the laundry will be clean and that we will have clean clothing to wear. But we've divided that job, so no one person is responsible for all of it. But there are monolithic jobs in our household. There are things that only one of us is responsible for. Uh, For example, my wife has never once had to take her vehicle to go get an oil change. It's not her job in our household. That's my job, and oftentimes I'm the one who changes the oil and the filter, and I do it myself. If I don't have time, I'll take it to somewhere else, and I I have found I have to make the time because it doesn't always happen the way I would want it to happen. But that's not Lorinda's job. It's definitely not Emma's job to take the vehicles and have them maintenance, right? Micah would like for it to be his job. He's still got a few months before he can have a permit, so that's not going to happen just yet. The whole point here is this. Everyone in this room is a member of the family. Every person here has a place where they belong. And if you have a place where you belong, you have some responsibility to the people that share that place with you, to the people that share that work with you. And when we neglect the work that we're supposed to do, we end up with broken down vehicles and we end up with uh, unwashed laundry and we end up with people who aren't fed properly. And so this morning, more than anything, before we continue with the rest of the series where we're going to enumerate a lot of the chores, the roles that we play in the church, the work that we contribute to, I want to encourage you to ask yourself, what is my work in the church? What are my personal chores that contribute to the family, to the household, that help us achieve the purposes that we exist for? In your house, some of the purposes that you might have are to to get your kids out the door, right? Lorinda can make breakfast for the kids. 
I can make sure that I'm ready to drive Micah to his seven o'clock in the morning jazz band zero period. I can be sitting there in the car, but if Micah doesn't get up out of bed, he's not going to get that breakfast and he's going to miss his ride. There are times where I might be the hitch in the giddy up, right? If I don't get up out of bed and I get the car started and I sit there and I wait for him to get in the car, who's going to drive him to school? The bus, and then he's going to miss his zero period class, right? What is it that you need to contribute for us to achieve the goal, getting out the door in the morning? What is it that you need to do to contribute to the more real goal of the church, to minister to the lost in the city of Newburgh, to share the good news of the gospel with those who need it most? When you continue this passage, it says, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And you know what? Just a, a moment later, in this same passage, it says, And the word grew. And the Spirit added to their numbers daily. Because someone said, you know what, that's, that's not my job, but I know it's, it's necessary. Someone said, you know what, I know someone who can do that job. And then they did it. And by waiting on tables, the kingdom grew. There are a lot of unwaited on tables for the Newburgh Church of Christ. Roles that need to be filled jobs that need to be done, work that needs to be contributed to. And if you don't have a chore yet, maybe you're being called to fill one of those roles. Maybe you're being called to wait on one of those tables. I want to ask you to commit yourself, coming out of our prayer series, over the next several weeks to pray that God would open your eyes to what chore is being neglected in our church what chore specifically that you can fill, that you can do, that we maybe have just missed and not added to the list. See, one of the benefits of having as many people as we do is that you've probably identified things that need to be done that others haven't. And we want to encourage you to pray about this and ask God to place on your heart the work that you are called to as a part of the family of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to be contributing members of the household. We don't want to be the freeloaders. We don't want to be the ones who are, are leaving our dishes at the table. We don't want to have this mentality of coming to the table, being served, walking away, and feeling as though that's all our faith is. We want to have a biblical image of what it means to be a family. We want to be able to tell others what it means to be a part of the household of God. We want very much to be people who honor you through our actions, who wait on tables when that's what we're called to, so that the kingdom of heaven might take root in new hearts and new lives. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have need of the church this morning, it's someone's chore today to make sure that that need is met. I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. If you're in need of prayer or counseling 
or you're in need of someone to baptize you because you want to participate in the family that Jesus has made us through his death, burial, and resurrection, I'll be back there to visit with you about that. We have elders in the room this morning who would be happy to sit alongside you and pray with you to shepherd you, to guide you in a situation that you're facing. That is their chore within the church is to make sure that you are being spiritually guided, led in the correct direction, that when you've wandered off the path, they can help you find it again. We've got some ladies here today that their whole chore in the church is to love and care for and support those who are in need, and they'd be happy to pray with you as well. They'd be happy to mentor you, to walk alongside you, to bless you and encourage you. If you have any need of the church this morning, if you're feeling like maybe you're a little disconnected from the family, I want to encourage you. Again, I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium, and I can find the person whose chore it is to walk alongside you today. Positive chore, not negative chore. That's all that I have this this morning. We're going to continue in our worship. I'm going to invite Kyle up to lead us as we stand and sing.